Hey everybody, welcome to number 36, episode number 36 of the Punk Till I Die podcast. I am one of your hosts, Tom, and the other voice you're going to hear in just a second, of course, is Neil. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing all right tonight. How are you? I'm good. Neil doing is coming good? from us from the central time zone, and the reason I bring that up is because we're actually like working the night shift tonight, right? Yep, working the night shift. So yeah. we, can, so <laughs> we should be in bed by now. Our... I'm old. What do you want? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're catching up with somebody on the West Coast. We're actually really stoked to have with yep. us the um, founder of Pirates Press Records in San Francisco. So... I never did ask you what you wanted to be called. Do you go by your Christian name, or do you you go by Skipper, or what? What do we call you? There's definitely no Christian name involved, but uh, people okay. either call me Skippy or Eric. Either way, uh, I, it's kind of interchangeable. All right, we're gonna call you Eric just because you know by the end maybe we'll be comfortable enough to call you Skippy. But I think we'll start with Eric. So it, it, it's Eric <laughs> from uh, from Pirates Press, and uh, Neil and I have both been big fans of the label for several years. So we're we're really excited to have you on and talk about the label and what you guys are are doing now, especially when obviously everything's pretty screwed up Everything's so fucked yeah basically yeah, yeah. thanks for having me on I'm yeah, on, yeah it's a pleasure so to chat about it any so opportunity to connect with people right now is a good one yeah exactly. <laughs> so so what did you so we know that parts press is about 15 years old now i think this year is 15 years right 2020 yeah this year's 15 years for the record label yeah so what uh what, what usually when somebody starts a label it's like because they have a band they need to put out was that the case for you uh, not exactly. We had the itch to want to put out records. We've been manufacturing records, which is our main business, Pirates Press. You manufactured for before? You manufactured yeah. before? Yeah, we started so... the manufacturing company and then like a year in really had the itch to, to make records for ourselves. And, you know, the first thing we did was a six picture disc box set with 12 bands that was kind of kind of summing up where we were in a sense with the label. It wasn't about that, like have one band needing to be a traditional record label it was hmm. more about showing off what we could do as a manufacturer yeah. and also kind of taking a different spin on it in a sense where a lot of the products that we make from the manufacturing side are really collectible themed or collectible geared um yeah. fancier better packaging picture discs things like that and so we really wanted to show that off but do it for the music we cared about so it was a great way to get like 12 of our friends bands involved each one had a tattooer do some artwork for it so there was like a lot of people involved and that's really been the underlying theme of the label is like trying to get as many people that we care about involved as possible whether it's musicians or artists or you know booking agents or whoever like we just want to kind of involve and affect as many people as we can in a positive way with it but, with the position that we're in as a manufacturer but so that's really interesting so why did you decide to do the manufacturing thing rather than just run a record label like most people would want to do like what made you want to do the manufacturing part of it it was kind of a fluke um i had worked for a label in college and then the label moved so i quit the job before they moved because i didn't want to move and after i graduated i just got a job on craigslist working for a company that had a relationship with the factory that we still use to this day in the czech republic and it was a small company with only like one or two other people and um, immediately just saw what I could do being put into a role of being able to help people get records made. And as I developed the relationship with the factory in the Czech Republic, it made it even clearer to me that I could do it in lots of different ways, not just pressing records for whoever would put a quote through on a website, but like really making a network of people that could, you know, make lots and lots of records and get the word out that we can do a good job doing it. And so you know, right off the bat, I started working for this company 
the guy who I was working for was basically taking all of the growth and the profits that we were making as a company and putting it up his nose. And I'd had enough. And we were out in CM at CMJ in New York and uh, basically had had enough and uh, decided in the course of 24 hours that it would be better if I started Pirates for us. So that's kind of where the pirate theme came from. It was very much a like starting off on our own ship kind of thing, you know? And so um, we started the manufacturing company then that fall of 2004. And then the box set came out the following fall, I think on Halloween actually um, in 2005. And was, it was just because we wanted to make records. For was, that a set, was that a cool. seven inch? Was that a seven yeah, inch box yeah, set? Yeah. Six, so, but six, still that's, inches. that's a yeah. pretty ballsy move because it's almost impossible to make a seven inch box set financially viable, I would think. So you're kind of like starting off the bat. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we're pretty blunt in a sense of being honest and saying like, we're not running a label to keep the lights on. Like the manufacturing company keeps the lights, keeps on. The lights on. The label is a profitable venture, but not so much that we could ever rely on it as a sole business. But what it does is it actually serves the manufacturing company as an advertising arm, if you think about it that way as well. Yeah. There are so many people who might see a record that we put out on the label who aren't into punk at all, but see the record and can apply that technology, that vision, whatever, to whatever they're working on. And that's when we get that manufacturing business that in a sense, even if we didn't make any money putting out the downtown struts record, the fact that we made some product for them that we then made for other customers down the line was the reason why overall it's a totally sustainable business model. But so, so, that's, you... so, so that's really interesting though. So you're talking 2000, 2003 something mm -hmm. like that so yeah, 2005. so that's way before the vinyl boom started again so you must have had some yeah. real foresight to to want to get into that that and we like to think that we were a big part of why the trend took off i Amazing. mean the whole yeah. company that we started was really unique now you can find companies on the internet who are making records making jackets doing the cutting like start to finish basically for the whole thing back then there weren't any really. Mm -hmm. um, you, if you wanted a record made, you got your lacquer cut somewhere, you got it plated somewhere else, you got your labels made one place, your records made one place, your jackets made one place, and you either assembled them yourself or paid maybe the guys who made the records to pack it all up for you. Um, and that's kind of changed because nobody wants to do it in piecemeal. Everybody would rather do it in, in a whole. Sure, yeah. And that's where we really led with a trend. And there are, I could name 10 companies that started doing what we do after we do it because it made it so easy. If you were a record label at that time, you had to employ somebody to be a project manager to make sure that all those different steps got done in a coordinated way mm -hmm. so that the records got made. And instead of that, companies could literally just send us the order and we did that job for them in a sense. Whole thing, start so, to finish, yeah. It was the whole thing start to finish. And that trend really took off. And the emphasis that we put on the product itself, like looking nice, sounding nice, standing apart from what you what else you see in the racks, like not just a black vinyl record. If it was a black vinyl record, it was a heavier, flatter, better sounding one. But like all of the things that really matter to like an audiophile vinyl collector, we tried to impart that onto people who maybe didn't have that experience or didn't have that knowledge. And that was really successful because we had, you know, major labels even like Warner Brothers and Sony and others 
who were like just exploding with the amount of vinyl that they were doing. And they were all doing really good stuff. Case wrapped products, like really nice tip on jackets, like uh, picture discs, triple gate folds and like really interesting stuff. They were even making like 12 inch singles and stuff like you wouldn't normally financially justify. But what they did was basically get the masses into vinyl again. And they did it at the same time as all the independent labels and bands were already putting emphasis on it. I mean, vinyl never went away in punk and metal and the emphasis on package never went away in metal. In punk, some of it was always more stripped down because it was more about the price. But heavy metal kids were always about making fancy stuff. We just kind of took that model and applied it to the mainstream. And now like, you know, all the indie records we make and all of the mainstream records we make, they're all like, they look totally different, but the technology is all the same. And like the tricks that they're using to make their records stand out on the shelf are all the same. And that's really cool. And that's really kind of created a trend. And now that social media is such a huge thing, which it wasn't then, but now that it is, that picture you can take of a record or that video you can Mm -hmm. take of a record or something is so much more important, which kind of validates why it's so important to put emphasis on the actual product itself. I mean, naturally, as a vinyl collector, though, if you care about the music, the music's the most important thing. So if you can take that music that you love and elevate it with a product, that's huge. But you could never do that with a CD. You know? Of course, yeah. No, that's a good point. So that's you, a very good point. So you you own the factory in the Czech Republic? I do not. No. Oh, you do not. Um, they make your stuff, but you don't own the factory. Okay, you don't own the factory. Correct. Yeah, we're we're for lack of a better word, partners with them. Um, okay. Not financial partners necessarily officially, but um, we you know basically service the U.S. market for them in a huge way. Have done for 15 years, and you know work closely with them on the inner workings of their side of it, which is really unique because they've grown massively in those 15 years and they're much further removed from the vinyl market than we are. Like me and my staff are on the ground, you know, boots on the ground with record labels and bands and stuff all all across every genre. And they're not. And if they are doing business with those kind of people, they don't have the communication skills to be able to get that knowledge base that we're able to get by actually connecting with those people on a different, on a deeper level. And so they've always used me as their connection to the industry and kind of as a thermometer on when it's smart to invest. And if we're going to invest and we could do this or this, which one do you think is going to be more popular down the line or which one's going to have a bigger impact and that kind of stuff. And they're great with the financial side of it is like this return on investments much better, but I can easily tell you that, you know, hey, we're going to have a lot more foil stamping than we're going to have, you know, a need for some other mm-hmm. minor detail, you know, or something like that. And, you know, the, the merging of my knowledge and our collective knowledge at Pirates with their kind of business sense and ability to run a factory and having done so in the same place for 60 years has just been huge. And we've been a trendsetter. There's no denying it in the in the industry. And you can see, obviously, vinyl has taken off since 2004 when we started. But, you know, why? And you look at the things and the actual records being made now that are popular and the traits about them, the things that are talked about them are all things we've had in place since day one, really. You know, we've got some new kind of colored vinyl and some other stuff that we've developed. But 
you know, the, the attention to the package and yeah, the yeah. sound quality and things like that have always been a huge focus for us. Yeah, I definitely see that. So, so the question I was going to ask, I was getting around to actually was, so your factories in the Czech Republic, I mean, do you go over there or you just have somebody you trust? I mean, how do you, how do you manage to turn out such good quality records with the factory being so far away? <laughs> Great communication, number one, but, um, I've been there 65 times or something. Oh, like is that, that. right? Um, yeah. Over a year of my life in the Czech Republic at this point, um, still can't speak the language better than like what we call bar check. Um, <laughs> Enough not to get your ass kicked when you're I'm at still, the bar. I'm still commended for my vocabulary, you know, as any American who knows the amount of words that I know. Ultimately, I can like listen and follow along. Um, but I also have an office there as well. About five minutes from the factory, we have four people there um, who are doing various things like a lot of the logistics and getting records shipped, stuff like that. We also handle a lot of European customers as well, just because. Um, the type of service we offer is a little different than a lot of the other people out there. And it's a little bit more hands-on and um, people like working with us. So we have uh, quite a bit of European and Australian business that we do out of that business, out of that office as well. Um, and then we also ship European mail order on there too. So for the record label, um, we're able to essentially service Europe the same way we are you, the U.S. with regards to like shipping prices, which is something that most U.S. labels can't do. And it gives us a huge mm. advantage because of how strong punk is in Europe and mm. being able to send somebody a T-shirt or a record for a normal price that like a normal European label would charge them is huge and mm. allows us to have that kind of same impact globally. So how many, how many other like, plants like that are there in the world because i mean what did i see like a few months ago that like one place burned down and it was only leaving one left in the world i mean is that is that oh that was a lacquer Uh, thing though oh it was yeah that was a different thing that was a lacquer producer um which ironically doesn't affect us because we actually don't use lacquers we use dmm plates which are Hmm. made from copper um so our our inner workings was not really affected by that, thankfully. Um, but that is impacting a lot of different factories across the world. There are, you know, quite a lot of factories now. Um, the last, say, five to ten years is probably as many new factories as there were factories that existed before then. Most of them are really small operations um, trying to grow, but it's really difficult because there's a huge amount of knowledge that goes into knowing how to make a record and make it well and, and make it sound good and flat and do it consistently and do it regardless of what temperature it is outside or in the room um things like that and you know like i said our factory's been making records for over 60 years and they know what they're doing the problems that we're working on now are not the problems they're working on the problems they're working on were things that like we figured out in the 70s you know what i mean Mm. so um we actually were the first factory to design and build our own new presses in 30 years. So we made, we've made both automated and manual presses because um, automated presses are great for some things, but you can't do splattered vinyl and some sure. of the other yeah, yeah. cool colored vinyl on them. So we, um, we've invested our technology knowledge into making new presses, not to sell to other factories, but to be able to scale up our operation. And the amount of records that we can make out of our factory in the Czech Republic right now is probably 10 times what it was when we started the, the company, um, maybe more. And <laughs> the records that we're making are so much better. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that although it was never bad, 
the working conditions for people in that factory now are awesome. Like if I was a worker there pressing records, I'd have pretty few complaints, you know, like the, they even put in an awesome like air circulation system for everything. So, you know, the changeover in the rooms now so great that you don't smell that same plastic smell that you'll smell at every other factory in the whole world, you know, and they're just taking steps that they can take because they're bigger and stronger as a company compared to other people. Um, you know, it's the same as any leader in an industry. Like if you can go the extra mile because you're a strong enough company to do it, you should do it because it's, it makes you a trend center and, you know, hopefully it, the rising tide lifts all ships kind of thing. So are, are the basics of pressing vinyl, is it basically the same as it was back in the seventies or is it completely different now? It's basically the same. I mean, there's, um, the, like I was saying, the DMM technology that we use compared to most factories out there, that was developed in 1985, which was when CDs came out. So most factories basically at that point thought CDs were the new shit and mm -hmm. that vinyl was going to die. So nobody invested in the new technology. They never really scaled up the production of the DMM machines. I believe only 16 or something of them were ever made, something to that effect. So even though they can... Tech technologically cut a much better record there was no investment in it at that point thankfully our factory did invest in it so we can have a markedly better product yeah. um, as a result of that investment it's not an investment you could make now you can't go and buy one it was just something that they did and you know it was during vinyl dark times as we like to call it you know um, but it's it's crazy to think about I mean the factory that we have now the pressing room is massive but in the 70s the room was like three times that size and there were so many more presses and like it was the only format people bought music on it, there was no downloading and right. no you know it, it was that was it you know well, so cassettes. Well, like, cassettes and shit too no but... I'm, I'm talking before even before cassettes like there there were there were times when vinyl was it vinyl was it yeah you know I what I mean? yeah like yeah. In terms of mass produce, like yeah. people bought reel to reels and stuff, but that wasn't really right. The, way vinyl was. the reason I asked that question is because I mean, I should I've been buying vinyl since the mid 70s, and but any colored vinyl you could get back then, especially someone like Luminous or something like that, it sounded like shit. I mean, you basically you couldn't play the damn thing, or picture disc used to sound like shit. So I'm assuming that the technology, part of the technology there, has changed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of like synthetic plastics that you can buy now and things like that that are much better environmentally and in terms of just the science behind it. Like if you think about it on a molecular level, you're really talking about like surface noise is friction. So if you looked at the surface of a record with no grooves pressed on different colors of vinyl, there'll be different surface left, like different surface tension, different surface um, levels of flatness and like permutations and stuff across this, depending on the actual compound and the different additives that are kind of made to it. Because the base compound is essentially like a milky clear color for all of the, the hmm. colored vinyl. And then you add other stuff to it to achieve the different colors and opacities that you want out of it. Um, and for a lot of the other factories out there, their range of colors is very limited because they're simply buying their compound from a supplier of compound. Um, and our factory since, you know, for 50 plus years, 60 years, they've been making their own compound. Hmm. So like 
you know, one of the coolest things I ever saw at the factory on my like first couple of visits was a secret room that they called the recipe room that was locked and you went in and there was like every a, a sample of every single color record that they'd ever made for like 50 years on the wall and you know mixing custom colors and everything with a white label and on the center label was literally the recipe like huh. add this much of the red and this much of the blue and this much of this kind of like pantone breakdowns yeah get. huh yeah with huh. a pantone number yeah. at the top it Crazy. was it was crazy but that kind of science is definitely improved um the printing technologies have all really improved there's so many new things that we can do with printing that are just amazing you know what i mean and that we could never have done even in 2004 um so, so that that part, it's really cool to kind of be current uh, with and follow along the factory also does a lot of business in just the print work world so they're able to invest in some really high-end print technology that we get to make use of because they may be making boxes for French perfume companies or huh. like think for Ikea or something, you know, like there, there are advantages to the size of our factory for more than just the record side of it too. Like the print work side of it, like the ability to make boxes like, like case wrapped boxes for box sets. Oh. It stems not from, records but from other products really the ability to do that well and have lots of options and like different kinds of material yeah so, so that part of it's something we take a lot of a lot of pride in as a company and and we really enjoy working with the music world specifically trying to create those really cool products and like we've led by example with the label you know putting out box sets for rancid and cox bar and other people that like show people how rad like you can make this stuff you know make a black leather box set pleather box set for rancid and do a louisville slugger baseball bat. yeah those little baseball bats <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so hey let's let's take a let's stick a song in real quick just because we have a tendency to go on and on and on and we always forget to put songs in so let's let's put a song in and i'm gonna i'm gonna call an audible neil because he we we talked a little bit with eric before the show and we were talking about how uh maybe we should do one from the first cox bar album they put out which is here we stand what year did that come out 90 90 something or was that in the 2000s? No, that was uh 2007. And then we put Was it that? Okay, so that was the yeah. Okay, so that was the last one before the newest one a couple years ago. Mhm. Yep. Okay. So let's do I'm going to call an all let's do Spirit of 76. That sound good? Nice. Yep. All right. So this is Cox Bar from Here We Stand Spirit of 76.
76 Coxbarrow right there great great band great album so so years ago like when like Coxbarrow played Riot Fest a few years eh, quite a few years ago now in Chicago is that something that you would show up for personally like is it possible that I bought stuff from you at the Pirates Press booth or or (laughs) was that like highly likely I'm the only person other than the members of that band who has been to every single gig they've ever played in North and South America oh really because yeah. one of my one of my very favorite shows, so I've only seen them twice, but one of my very favorite shows of all time is when they played, they headlined with Stiff Little Fingers at a place called Concord Hall in Chicago upstairs. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was an amazing show. We were, we were standing, standing in line out front, and the guys got out, um, like, right out front of the venue, and they were going in, and it was just like, wow, they just look like a, I don't know, they, they, they really still do look like, like football hooligans or something, even though they're like, you know, they're geezers, but they, they're so good, man. Their, their live show is still so good. That's a great venue, um, too, they're best man. Friends, that's man. A, that's a they're great what venue. bands wish they were. They're well, literally what bands wish they were. If they weren't a band, they would still be, be at each other's birthdays, kids' birthdays, anniversary awesome. parties. Like, they, some of them have known each other since they were like four years old. You know, like they're, 
best friends. And the band is the best band nobody knows about, partly because they value each other's opinions so great that it takes them forever to decide on doing anything because they want everybody to have a say and to be happy with the decision. And like any group of five friends, there's going to be disagreements and different different eyes on it, you know what I mean, in different ways. And, you know, the, the way that they can communicate and act as a band and make decisions that keep everybody happy and keep them a band 50 years later is huge. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really bummed out that they they have already announced they're not going to be able to make it to um, Punk Rock Bowling next year. I was kind of hoping they'd be able to. Obviously, Punk Rock Bowling has been put on hold, or they're just not, not going to be able to do it this year, which is a bummer. So speaking of speaking of the stupid COVID-19 crap, right, obviously we can't entirely get away from this. Is is your factory right now, is the factory still running, or are they on some kind of lockdown? I mean, are you still producing records right now? Yep, we have not been shut down at all. Uh, the entire time even through the shelter in place orders that have been put in place both here and in the czech republic we've basically been operating more or less ever since Mm. here everybody's working from home with the exception of two people who physically have to touch product to Mm. to do their jobs and our warehouse is so big they don't even have to be within 12 feet of each other let alone Mm. six feet they each have their own bathroom and entrance and everything so that in that sense it's safe and over at the factory in europe um, they've been very fortunate. Like the the running line is that uh, the government, the virus, and a lack of orders have not shut us down yet. So <laughs> thankfully, we've been rocking and rolling. I mean, one of the good things is that it's not an overnight process to make records, and we're a busy company. So at any given time, we might have a month to two months worth of a backlog of products to make in our system. So we've been rocking through that and like our big customers are still placing orders, even if they don't know when um, the band might tour, the record's still got to come out because there's a record coming out right on the heels of it and right on the heels behind that. So if everything starts to get delayed, it ends up piling up and creates chaos. So we've got a lot of labels doing that. And then a lot of people just kind of want to keep the ball moving. And a lot of people are at home. They know they're going to do the record and may have extra time now. So we've actually had a lot of people kind of come into the table, especially in the last week or two, who are starting to be a lot more forward thinking about getting stuff made, even though they might not have a concrete timeline on putting it out or when a band's going to go on tour. It's it's at least enough to keep them positive about it. Hmm. So you're like the so on the label side of things, your is your release schedule been screwed up or are you pretty much full speed ahead at this point? Um, because we are heavily reliant on mail order as opposed to selling records in like big chain stores, the way mm. much larger labels are, we're big, able to big keep chains, things going. Big chain stores still sell records? I mean, you know, <laughs> no, your, just... your Newbury Comics and your Urban Out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, if a you. huge percentage of our records moving through those places, then obviously it would be a bit different. But, yeah. you know, our bread and butter is our mail order and people order from us all the time and they're stuck at home. We have plenty of friends who, you know, they got, they have their jobs, they're working at home and they got a check from the government. So all of a sudden they got extra yeah. time to spend on music and yeah. all of a sudden they're not going to shows and spending money on going out for dinner. And pretty soon there's a lot of extra disposable income to spend on records. So 
Yep. In a sense, we, like you, music can, I say, you're talking to a buy. couple of you're talking to a couple of geezers who could definitely relate to that because if it wasn't for that pack, you know, getting a package once a week or something, we'd probably be going insane. Yep. And uh, looking no matter for the how mailman, many like we already have. Yeah, exactly. We're like retired people waiting for the mail. And yeah, uh, so but we're yeah, trying keep, we're trying to keep you happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the answer well, to that question. Well, the funny. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, it doesn't matter how many you got. The one you haven't got yet is always the one you want the most, you know? Mm. Stupid stupid record collecting. It's like, well, when you were talking about, you know, kind of your job being the guy on the ground with the pulse, all I could think is drug dealers. You know, you got the big guys who move the kilos in, and then you got the guy on the ground who's actually going to deal with the – you're like the ground-level drug dealer. You're the one supplying us with our with our know, vinyl. Man, I don't know. I've got like seven – giant 40 foot containers filled with records on boats headed to the u.s right now i feel like i'm the kilo guy holy shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah well here you are with us that's the big problem with the covid situation is that there's no airplanes in the sky and our whole Mm. business revolves around air freighting records from europe to the states Mm. um and for the foreseeable future that's a much more expensive endeavor Right now, it's extremely expensive because there are virtually no flights in the air, barring some like charter flights that are very expensive. Thankfully, all the distributors are closed. So a vast majority of our customers who are not mail order centric like we are right now have no urgency. So they're like cool with waiting an extra two weeks or something for the records, which is essentially what it's boiling down to. Well, it, it is um, it is strange because it's, you know, Neil and I are both big Discogs guys, right? And we were talking about this the other day. Normally, you go on and say, hey, who's got this record the cheapest? But now you go on and you say, hey, which record store do I want to make sure survives so that I can go to it next time I'm in St. Louis or next time I'm in yeah, Indianapolis? No, no shit. That's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's man, you, you don't realize how much you miss these things until you don't have them anymore. And I think um, people, people are understanding that they're not able to go to shows and that the bands aren't touring. Yep. But I think that they underestimate how hard it's going to be for the bands to regain that sense of income. Yeah. Like, clubs are going to be hit, hit hard, too. It's going to be a long time before you see packed shows the way yeah, you no saw doubt. Them, where everybody's no having doubt. a good time. That's going to be a really difficult thing for promoters. We're, we're Midwest punk fans. We're used to half, half full venues anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it, a thousand person venue cannot really survive as a 500 person yeah. venue, you know, like most of them can. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be really difficult. And just in general touring, like to think about a U.S. band going to Europe right now or even in a year from now, what happens if they find out after their second show that there was COVID at the first show and that they need to quarantine they have to cancel their tour in yep. Spain for 14 days or something, and then what? Fly home and have made zero money and just gone on a quarantine vacation? Like, yeah. That doesn't seem like something people are going to take a lot of risks on. Come home with 500 t-shirts. Come home with 500 t-shirts and yeah. and uh, 200 records. And well, it's funny because the two of the biggest tours that we're most bummed out about were English bands that were supposed to come over. Subhumans had to entirely cancel their tour, and GBH. I've never seen GBH. This was the year, man. I was, I was, I'm pretty bummed out about it, but I understand. But it's depressing because I'm hoping club shows come back in the fall, and I think that might be realistic. But you know, the bigger shows, it's probably, it's probably going to be next year, I assume. Yeah. But. I mean, hey, I, I, we can all hope that we get to see a bunch of amazing bands that should be playing giant venues in tiny clubs. There you go. Because that could happen, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah it, it could. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just can't wait for the first the first pit that I'm in. You yeah. know what I mean? You're gonna like be eyeballing everybody in the pit and be like, "We're gonna do this, right? We're gonna do this." Who's gonna right. be the first to start? Fuck yeah, it. let's go for it. Well, they, is, yeah. Are people gonna be wearing masks and shit Are they, when they go to shows? It's gonna be weird. I mean, that, I mean, that's a whole I new revenue, but that's a whole new reven, revenue stream for you. You can start putting out Coxborough masks and shit like that, right? There you go. One of uh, one of my uh, pirates actually has made over 600 masks oh, wow. that she's um, been selling them, but the money's all going to charity. I think she's raised over 1500 bucks already, um, but it's all with old t-shirts that we donated. So oh, excellent. It's all kinds of, like you know, spar masks and preachers masks and street dogs masks and stuff like that. But, you know, it they're, they're all made out of all those for donations. Those. They're all made out of like leftover small t-shirts because if you ever met a Cox bar fan, that could wear a small t-shirt. <laughs> Just, just somebody's kid, I guess, mask, right? right? <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. It's either smalls or like the four X's, you know? Two yeah. X's, yeah. That one guy who always yells at me for not bringing a four X to the show. I'm going to make a four X, and then that guy doesn't show up. And yeah, it's a tour, tour t shirt. So he doesn't want. He doesn't want it afterwards. He wasn't there. But, yeah, yeah. Um. So what? What is the stat? What are you? Where are you at in California as far as your the, the status? All your like Michigan. We're locked down to the middle of May as of right now. I, in Illinois, where Neil's at, he's like till the end of the month. Where's, yeah, where's California? 30, at? They're like indefinite, right? Uh, as of yesterday, um, Bay Area is end of May, um, but okay. the California state one is indefinite. So there's and a bit knows? of a game of politics being played between county and state and federal government. Right yeah, now, it's hideous. Obviously. It's hideous. So um, I think, in a sense, as long as everybody kind of plays ball and you know abides by the general shelter in place order like nobody's really in the bay area and there's been very little friction like there's been a few things here and there but the general sense of it is like everybody's just waiting it out and i think we're we're obviously in a i guess a more affluent place than other places so like people are equipped to do their jobs remotely and like can afford to buy two weeks worth of groceries and things like that, you know, that he can't do everywhere. And like, we don't take that for granted. You know, there are obviously people in our community who can't do that too. And, you know, I think as a community though, we've all like more than a lot of other places. I'm pretty proud to be a part of the Bay area and to be Hmm. part of California right now. We've definitely been whining about, you know, because Neil and I are both in the same boat as far as we're in a pretty good position to ride this out. You know, I mean, we're we're gonna be okay, and and I we we understand that our whining is definitely like luxury problems. You know, when we can't go see yeah, our first, favorite punk bands, yeah, and first we can't go problems. we can't go drink overpriced tall boys at the <laughs> at the local pub. But but it's by the same by the same token, you 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 lose those little joys. You know, you 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 forget how important that stuff is to you, and the sort of you know people are doing all these live streaming concerts, and and I think that's great, and I think there's obviously going to be a lot more of that. But it's just not the same because to me it's the experience. Like you were saying, being in the pit, having that beer, the fellowship of loud music and like-minded yeah. individuals and the smell of the guy who doesn't believe in deodorant because of animal <laughs> testing and you know the whole the whole experience of going to a live show, right? Yeah, I feel like half of me would rather just like stand on the corner and watch like an open mic night at a coffee shop in person rather than see a band that I like a whole lot more on my computer. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny because we're practicing. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're having a hard time getting into it too. And I, I think it's like I said, I think it's more about the fact that that's not really what the show experience is about. I think the um, ones that are so different from a show experience are the ones that appeal to me more. The ones where, like Glenn Pine from the Slackers, played trombone while he made Portuguese like sausage soup in his kitchen. <laughs> you know, like like that was ridiculous, and it was like an insight into who this human being is and how awesome he is. But it wasn't a replacement for something else, you know. And yeah, once yeah. the once the restrictions on movement are let are lessened up a bit, and you see bands who are like getting together to play and they put that like whole show on live, that's kind of different. And like that you hold in some measure of comparison to seeing a band play live in front of your face, yeah. which is very different than seeing a guy like just shoot the shit, talk, answer some questions, play three songs on his acoustic guitar. That I yeah. feel like is so different that you don't make those comparisons. And I, can enjoy that it has it has a level of intimacy as opposed to a full band trying to knock out a bunch we're of also both we're also all from places where we get to see shows though yeah, yeah that's true man like that's, if that's you true. lived if you lived in northern alberta you know in canada you wouldn't get to see all the bands you want to see so getting <laughs> to see some bands do those streaming things has a whole different thing you know yeah it's true what, what is that guy that that messages us probably drunk neil all the time he's from where's he from it's, north dakota yeah or he said exactly that same thing to us yesterday because he's, he's from, from north, north dakota, dakota. He's like, yeah dude yeah. you guys are you guys are yeah you guys should shut up he said basically <laughs> and i live in a secondary market but i'm between chicago and detroit so i have a lot of options but i mean my, my town doesn't necessarily have them but let's stick another song in neil you wrote down what we were going to do what, what, what song what song are we do next well um Let's see. We had mentioned Downtown Struts. Any particular Downtown Struts song you'd like to play or like to listen to? I mean, you guys are talking about being lost in America. That makes sense. <laughs> is that, the, is that from okay. Lost in America, you said? Yeah, from, yeah. A, from the album Victoria, right, from 2012. Yep. Okay, so we got the Downtown Struts with Lost in America.
All right. There you go. Downtown Struts, Lost in America. So so staying on that thread, you guys are – and Pirates Press is, is doing a thing, and I think you're involved with it. I don't know if it's all your thing or you're just involved with it or what, but it's it's called Rock the Sofa. You want, you want to talk about that for a minute? I, I pretty much know what it is, but I think you've got yeah. a better grasp of it than I do. Um, right it's kind of what we're just talking about, right? right, right yeah, right when everybody got, like, the order to stay at home, uh, a lot of the folks in our camp, specifically the musicians, wanted to do stuff, like we were just talking about, like, doing, even if it was just Q&A stuff, and started doing it. And immediately, within, like, the first day or two, we had, like, a huge group of people who hit us up, like, I can't believe so-and-so did something and I missed it. And we're like, oh, that can't happen again. So uh, we we set up Rock the Sofa to basically be a guide, like a festival guide, because there's no controlling who's going to do it or who's not going to do it. And we don't want it to be like, do it on our thing. Don't do it on their thing. Do it on our, like, none of that. We just want to be the guide. So essentially, people in our world, you know, all walks of punk, essentially, who are doing stuff are just hitting us up and letting us know that they're doing it. We're helping promote it, getting the word out. And we're obviously doing that for all of our artists as well within like the Pirates family as well. Um, so, so it's like it's an online really calendar. Is that what it are like an online? Yeah. Like an online yeah. calendar. Just like, OK. Yeah. And we have like, you know, you can go on the site and it's a listing of everything going on. You can click a button and add it to your calendar so you don't forget. So you can set up a reminder, that kind hmm. of stuff. Um, like links to people's social media. We're archiving some of them. So if you do miss them. You can go to the YouTube account for Rock the Sofa and check them out um, that way. Well, my wife and I actually just celebrated our anniversary uh, two weeks ago. So we did, um, I kind of did it without telling her, but set up a bunch of uh, live streams in a row. So it was like a full day stuff from like noon to eight. Mm. Of, like our favorite artists and friends and stuff like that doing um, little half hour bits. And it was like end to end. And by the end, you know, there were probably three to 500 people watching most of them and hmm. commenting on them and plenty of people got exposed to new music that way which was cool and none of it was like a full band playing it was all something that resembles what everybody's doing right now sitting at home if, they could, if you could, if i could play a guitar i'd be sitting on my couch playing a guitar all the time if i could you know like the way everybody's doing it so it's an insight into people's lives and kind of it's that sense of like we're all in this together but just like hmm out there for everybody to see so too. are the streams themselves so this is called it's called rock the sofa rock the sofa.com right that's just the that's yeah. the yeah. so are the streams there or do they have links or is it just like everybody's the... streaming on their own platforms usually instagram or facebook um oh, okay. also, it, for that reason we're trying to like i said expose people to new music and if it means having to follow an mm. artist to see their live stream there's one way of getting that to happen so mm. um yeah like we've the Barstool Preachers did a thing a couple of weeks ago and they got like a few hundred new followers just in one mm. in one hour or whatever from doing this thing because people wanted to see it. And like that was awesome. And that's really what it's about right now. If you, if you can't play a show, we need to find new people for you to expose your music to. And even if you can't play your music the way you normally do and all you can do is be funny in front of a screen because you don't play guitar and that person who plays guitar lives in the next town over and you can't hang out with them. We can still make it happen. We can still entertain people. And even if it's just ourselves, you know, some of the streams have 50 people on them and it's like just friends and family and stuff. And that's totally cool too. There's all kinds of um, family streams. There's a bunch of kids stuff. We did rockthesofa.com slash kids as well. And it's hmm. like 
all kinds of activities for kids. Um, Alice Bagged it, is doing like um, an exercise thing. There's some yoga stuff. There's there you go, Neil. Somebody from your generation. Firing sheets. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. It's fun. You throwing shade at me again, dude? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. No, Alice is great. I, I, matter of fact, she just put on a new record not long ago herself. She's uh, she's right. still got some. She's still right. got the fire. Yeah. Um, what uh, what cool stuff you got coming out that you want to tell us about, or is it all top secret? Because I always notice with, uh, no. with with you guys, yeah. you tend to like, it's like boom, it's available. You know what I mean? It it, it doesn't seem like. You're, I try not to be Kickstarter. I try to be um, like I don't, Amazon's a shitty reference to use right now, but. Like when you spend your money on something online, you want to get like a tracking number, right? Like you don't want to get a tracking number three months from now. Right. Sure. Like, that's kind of oh, the way oh, that's that we the take thinking. it. Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. <laughs> yeah. you. So yeah, or, we make well, records nowadays. as soon as they show up, we put them on sale basically. <laughs> we try well, that... to do some planning so that the record stores get them at the same time as we put them out, you know? So you do hear about them. Like if you're getting copies for review, you know, those usually go out early enough that you know the reviews can come out when the record's going to be live but you know in today's world for a lot of people you got one shot of them clicking a buy it now button or not you right. know what i mean nobody reads anymore nobody's sitting there on the john reading a magazine three times over and gonna catch that review from somebody like <laughs> shit i a do different world, you know? <laughs> I, I guess i'm i guess i'm old school because i do still but you know oh, i read are, v of the rock man yeah. Shit, right yeah i read v of the rock yeah. on the john yeah, yeah sure <laughs> okay. well if you like if you like dancing if you like so... dancing don't read my review of his elvis album you won't be happy anyway <laughs> So we try to wait to talk about the records until there's like a, a way for somebody to click buy it now, which unfortunately for us means that the records are there, you know, yeah. and it does feel like a surprise, but it's, it's kind of cool that way too. We're different than everybody else in that respect too. And I, I kind of like that. Um, we've got some awesome stuff coming up actually. We've got, um, I don't know if you're familiar with territories or not. We put out a record. Ah, I love territories. They're yeah. a couple of years ago was one of my top 10 definitely of the year. Yeah, we've from got a new Canada 10 summer. inch from them coming out, and okay. also a split with uh, split seven inch with Vicious Cycles. That's like all moto oh, yeah. which yep, is yep. rad. Um, yep. We got two new records from Noise coming out, um, and actually, I just posted a picture of it yesterday. Um, we've got a reissue of um, Butcher's Banquet by Old Firm Casuals. Oh yeah, we yeah. Just did, that's ridiculous with like this crazy gold foil insert hmm. and. Like it's it's not a picture disc, but it looks like a picture disc, and it's this hmm. new thing that we just made, but. Um, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. The new Preachers stuff that they just put out, I believe we're going to be doing that on vinyl here soon coming up. Um, we've got some new bands that I'm not going to mention yet, but no. people should be excited about. Uh, so yeah, we've got all, all kinds you, of fun stuff coming You should out. check out Territories, Neil. I, I dig them. I think, because I know one of our, the first record this year that Neil and I both agreed on being the great record of the year is the Drowns album. Yep, and we excellent. love that. And I think ter- I think territories hit some of those same kind of boxes as drowns. Actually, okay. I think you did. I think, I think it's the it's the song the songwriting is just there. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think you like them. They're from like BFE Canada or something. I mean, they're from they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're from Calgary. They, yeah, um, cool. Definitely have to check that out. So can um, can, I, can I ask some more questions about the manufacturing thing though? Just because I'd like to go back Neil's to that. Because... Yeah. Well, no, no, he it, seems no, to have it's... a pretty good. You seems that I'm actually like impressed that he has so much knowledge as a, as the guy who runs the company, right. having as much knowledge as he does about the manufacturing. Ask away. So, um, it's in it's in the Czech it's in the Czech Republic. So, have you never thought about trying to build something over here, or is that just completely impossible? Uh, we did actually. 
Um, we make flexies, as you know. Yes. Uh, we made those presses in San Francisco. Okay. Um, flexies died in the mid-90s. The company that was making them in Florida trashed the equipment. The people who actually ran the machines died, and most of them were the ones that we could track down. Uh, and we found some old plans through a patented patent office, which really made no sense to us. So we decided to just kind of scrap that idea. And we had a friend who was um, an engineer for his entire career and had retired and was willing to spend some time with us. And we bought some machines that were made to make flooring and used the plates we make to make normal records and figured out how to do it. And then once it worked, we stepped it up, made three machines, uh, ran them for about three years. Um, and then we got an order from a company called Swiss Post, who do all the printing of currency in Europe. Um, and huh. it was for 450,000 flexi postcards, the kind made on paper. And the center, like one and a half inches, was perforated and popped out and was a five euro postage stamp. Ah. Uh, so the entire value of the order was in the millions uh, in terms huh. of the actual value because it was currency. Sure, sure. And it would have cost us so much to actually make it in the Bay Area and then transport it with armed guards back to Europe that we actually put the whole operation in a container and moved it over to the Czech Republic. So hmm. it's all being made at the same facility. So your flexies are all over there too. Yeah, yeah. So as of uh, 2013, um, they're all being made over there. Um, and I found that running a manufacturing company while we were doing that was extremely difficult. Um, not something I went to school for, not something I'd ever really done. I'd never worked in a factory, nor had the folks around me really mm -hmm. who were working with us on it. Um, and for the most part, it was an odd situation where for the first like 10 years of the company or five years of the company, I guess at that point, um, everybody was essentially a salaried worker doing office type job. And then we had to introduce three times as many people who were minimum wage yeah. workers making the records. Yeah, yeah. So the dynamic was really odd. And then also being in San Francisco, which is one of the most difficult places to live financially made that even harder. And then the fact that everybody was basically from the same scene, the punk and metal scenes and stuff, made it even weirder. You know what I mean? It's like you had some people who were making minimum wage and some people who were making like close to 100 grand or something. You know right, I mean? right. So it was, it was an odd one. Well, um, does such and I didn't a thing, enjoy that part of it necessarily. Does but such they're a, really good at it in the Czech Republic. So. Do, oh. do, does, <laughs> does such a thing exist in the U.S.? I mean, I'm not talking about your thing, but I'm just saying, is, is there any kind of manufacturing plant like that in the U.S. at all? There are loads of uh, vinyl record manufacturers in the States. I don't believe there are any who also run a full-service print shop. Gotcha. And there's only one uh, that's even close to the same size as ours. So what kind of, I mean, you, I mean, much, much bigger than everybody. So in the indie world, I mean, you guys have a pretty big market share. I mean, I look at a lot of records that aren't put out by you guys that you guys make. I mean, I'm not asking you for a number, but you guys got a pretty good, I mean. Any, on any given year, we're, we're making between like three and four and a half million, just kind of ebbs and flows. Um, million records. Yeah, yeah. Which Good is work. crazy because, you know, the funny thing is in the 90s, you know, every shit band in the 90s was platinum, right? 
But even the biggest bands now just don't sell the quantity of records. You know, when Taylor Swift has the number one record of the year and her vinyl record sales are less than 100,000, I mean, that's pretty astounding, you know? I remember, like, early early days on Pirates, we got an order from Warren for the new Madonna record, like Hard Candy or something like that. Okay. It was, like, it was 24,000 records. Wow. But still, 24,000 finished product. And I just went, like, how the fuck does Madonna not sell more than 24,000 records? Like, But her fans are not vinyl people, right? No, of course not. But just, like, numbers, you know? Like, we were making... You know, if, if we had a new order for like a Mastodon or something, we were probably making 10,000, you know? Yeah. So like to think that 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 she was, wasn't was so far beyond Right, that, yeah, you know? and I understand. And obviously yeah, there's sense. there's big stuff. The big stuff in vinyl is, you know, your your um, Rolling Stones and your Beatles and the mm. Dylans and- Stupid Fleetwood Green Mac reissues. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fleetwood That's Mac cool. always well, comes you, up. But you know what's funny? Because it's funny because, okay, so like maybe the metal equivalent of you guys would be like, I, I, I don't like Nuclear Blast or something, right? They do, but it, like if Overkill puts out a new record, they're doing 5,000 copies on vinyl or Testament or one of these bands that I grew up listening to, these thrash bands. I'm shocked at how few vinyl records are selling. Now, maybe they're, that's a, they're CD-era bands. Maybe they're still selling- Lot, they're probably selling you know twice that many CDs, but man, the digital thing. As a guy who's of a certain age, who grew up listening to records and tapes and CDs, man, I just I cannot get into the digital the era. I got to have stuff in my hand. I think I having been on the inside inside circle of seeing witnessing the change, so to speak, to go from um, like a small punk band being able to sell a couple of thousand CDs. To that same band putting out a record now, who where they should be selling more, you know, like because the yeah. band has progressed and is more popular, and not being able to generate nearly that same amount of money with digital is sad. You know yeah. what I mean? Because every you couldn't check out a band for free back then. You know what yeah. I mean? You had to spend ten bucks to do it, and now you can check out any band basically for free. You know what I mean? Which is which is kind of nice if you're looking at you know an LP's twenty dollars. It's kind of nice to know you're not buying something that's a total turd. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, mm-hmm. if you like it, you should buy it. But I know that's my generation. You know, someday my kids are probably gonna throw all my records in a dumpster. It's uh, well, I, I, I don't know. Well, I hope. Let's I hope, hope not. not. <laughs> I, yeah. Exactly. I told them I'll leave it to your daughter. Too, yeah. There, there's a lot more records being put out now. Yeah. Like it was a lot harder in the '80s, even in the '90s, to make a record simply put like there were a lot fewer companies that were doing it the recording part of it was a lot more expensive yeah. the mastering part of it those parts of it were really really expensive for like johnny punk band you know what i mean and now you just need like a couple of grand you know mm. and anybody can record you digitally you don't need tapes and other things that or you can do it yourself yeah a lot of people yeah, do you it can themselves. do it in, totally in plenty of different genres that's all it requires, you know what mm. I mean? And they're all doing that. Mm. And we make tons of records that are, you know, made on a MacBook. Yeah. Designed on the same MacBook. Like the artwork's, yeah, there you go. the artwork's the same thing too. Like nobody knew how to make print ready artwork back then to be able to print an LP jacket and get films made and stuff like that. Like I remember when we started Pirates Press within like, a month. I I remember laughing my balls off because somebody sent me their label art in, and it was literally just 
pieces of notebook paper with drawings on it. And I just was like, <laughs> that's how we roll. You man. put that in an envelope and just mailed it to me and expected me to what? Like magically make them like, like you were okay, going to do all the, all right. like, yeah, yeah, you fire. just put it in Photoshop, man. Just Photoshop it. It'll be perfect. There you yeah, go. I mean, yeah. even in 2004, people were <laughs> still knew how to like set a Photoshop <laughs> yeah. file. Yeah. But like, yeah. Still well, awesome. It's still we still have it happen today. You know what I mean? Like, can you just put my name on the labels in like courier font? Like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> How do we do you better? Like, send me a photo of you. We'll put your face on it. There you go. So uh, back in the day, it was always like, well, you know, colored vinyl's nice. It's kind of a it's kind of a silly thing though, and black vinyl sounds the best. Now, is that still a thing, or does colored vinyl sound just as good as black vinyl now? Depends on what kind of turntable you have. Depends what kind of speakers you have. Depends what kind of ears you have. Well, yeah, uh, but but depends but, what kind of music it is. Yeah, you but know, the like, thing, but the thing always was they always said that black just sounded better. I don't know. I don't know why that was the thing. But... Scientifically, um, milky clear vinyl and black are the two best sounding records. Um, the next best would be transparent colors. Interesting. And with the exception of ultra clear, like the ones that are fully clear like crystal clear yeah those are worst and clear uh sorry white would be the next worst hmm. now why is that well, i Just have so many the... white i have so I many white 45s remember how we were going into earlier about the surface of records mm-hmm. can have different just inherent properties the inherent properties of the things needed to create those specific compounds has more um texture to it where more interesting um, anomalies to it yeah um in the same way that uh like glow in the dark vinyl actually sounds really bad yeah um, my old penetration album of... sounds like shit yeah yeah hmm. um and it's it's just because like the size of the molecule that is each each molecule of pigment is bigger or shaped a certain way you know what i mean mm-hmm. that that has hmm. And there were sci- there, like the, the folks who run our studio and the folks who are really in charge of the science behind the records that we make, like the oldest dude there, he's in his 80s and he refuses to retire. Literally, they've, they've made him retire. They stopped paying him. He's coming back. They just have to pay him out because they're like, we can't not pay him. He shows up. But like the dude went to college for groove geometry. Holy shit. Wow. That's awesome, though. You could never do that today. That doesn't yeah, even yeah, exist. Yeah. But like he has textbooks. And it's because that was the medium for commodified music then. And so there was an entire study about it. And there were people who were the leaders of the industry. And you still see some of them around today um, who are like the really expensive lacquer cutters and the people who are in charge of places like Abbey Road or Fantasy and stuff like that. And George Horn, other people like that. And there are still people who know a lot more than most people about like the science and the math behind it. But I'd venture to say that the folks that are in our studio know the absolute most than anybody in the world about groove geometry because they were able to take the science and the math behind it and turn it into a software program. And that software program basically handles our cutting, our pre, our pre-cutting, our cutting, and our quality control. I mean, there's human beings involved, but it is the skeleton that makes our records so much better and makes our operations so much more tight than everybody else. Hmm. Crazy. 
Neil, you're a big. You're. A, I didn't know you were so into the technical end of things. No, I. I am, and I'm interested because. Um, I mean, it was always a thing back in the day. It, yeah, the colored vinyl was always fun. Like Generation X would put their shit out on colored vinyl, but they might also do one on black too. King Rocket got on black, and it's like, well, I want the colored one, and then you wonder why it didn't sound quite as good, you know? Hmm. So it's always been interesting. And uh, what was it? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say in my one of my UK subs albums from back in the day, it was clear originally, and now when I pulled it out, it's gone kind of a murky brown. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I mean, it's that's it's bizarre. it's it's forty years old now. I guess that's probably something to do with it. Looks like it, a but... blotch. It looks like a blotch on Charlie Harper's skin or something, huh? <laughs> <laughs> sort of works. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's that's uh, a... let's let's stick another song in, Neil. All right, uh, I'm gonna play. You have the list. I I, I don't I'm, know. I can't remember where we're at. I'm gonna play something by Noise, if that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Those guys. I'm, I'm cool with that. You cool with that, Eric? Yeah, definitely. All right, I'm gonna play. Uh, well, do you want me to play something? Can I play something old, or do you want to play something new? What do you think? Play your favorite, man. All right, man. I'm gonna play uh, Noise. This is Idle Action by Noise. It's a shame, the race is just a lie, who's to blame? It's a 
All right. Noise, idle action, and that's noise with the exclamation point in the middle of the word, which always throws me when I'm looking it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. We like bands that have terrible names that make it really difficult for people to find them or yeah. understand yeah. with them. <laughs> yep. Like, you know, we try and do it as much as possible. We got Coxbar, who, you know, we don't even need to go there. But right. like Barstool <laughs> Preachers can't decide if Barstool is one word or two words. Like, or if there's a the so, in the front. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome. Like the downtown struts are on uh, iTunes, like in four different ways, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Saw, I saw the downtown struts and I only saw them one time. Where were they from? Were they Chicago. a barrier band? Oh, Chicago. I mean, okay. Well, they, they lived out here when we first started working with them, but they moved to Chicago. Um, so some, I, some of them I, are from out that way. I saw them open there. for, believe it or not, it seemed like such a wild tour, but it was actually really good for the business. It must have been, mm-hmm. oh, might have mm-hmm. been like 10 years ago. I don't know. It was at a little tiny yeah. place in Lansing. It was a great, great show, actually. Um, you said no, you, you said you worked for TKO in college. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't want to waste too much time on that, but where, where were they and where did they relocate to? Uh, they were here in they were in San Francisco when I was in school in San Francisco. So you're a Bay Area kid. You grew up in the Bay Area. No, I actually uh, moved here to go to college. And then oh, to go to college. Okay. <laughs> so I, where I grew up in Boston and then lived in San Diego for a while. Oh, you're an East Coaster. Oh, no stuff, kidding. And then came up here to go to college. So and, uh, where did TKO up. move to? Uh, they moved all around, and now uh, let's see. They first they went to Virginia, then they came back to California to Southern California. And now uh, Mark is up in Oregon running Cascade Pressing. He runs an actual factory as oh, well. Oh, really? Oregon? Um, yeah, it's a really cool operation up there. I'm super proud. And stuff. The band I always associate with TKO is like Annie Scene, and they're obviously from like North Carolina or something, right? That was, so I was, like, I... that was a chapter of TKO that basically started and took off after I worked there. Like, okay, for, so what, what years part. were you there then? Um, I left in 2002. I believe okay. 2001, 2002. Like okay. So what, what uh, records did you work on with them? Uh, lots of stuff for like working stiffs and reducers. We even put out a Dropkick Murphy single drop, like the curse. Oh, the one with soul single. Oh, um, I, was, I thought maybe with the one with uh, the, the, the split with uh, anti heroes. Yep. Yeah, we did that. Um, we did, let's see, we did all kinds of stuff. Back generators, then. right? The generators um, were on TK. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. actually, I'm actually the guy on the cover of that record. The oh, really? Record, Is that right? That's my face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no kidding. We had that's one cool. day to do the artwork and uh, the guy who was doing it was like, yo, Skippy, go lay down on the sidewalk outside. And he like put a coin <laughs> on my eye and took a picture of it and like, photoshopped <laughs> some blood in. I was like, oh, that works for me. That's cool. It, yeah, I mean, that's the, ra- a- the randoms record literally was a dead seagull that was in the backyard for like a month that nobody refused to clean up, and somebody just put a bottle of Jack Daniels <laughs> under its arm <laughs> and a, or under its wing and a cigarette in its mouth and took a picture and like, like that's the best. Co- that's that's the way a record cover should come about, you know. <laughs> well, it's funny because you obviously maintained a relationship with some of those guys because you put out uh, Reducers albums, and yeah, you've I mean, done. And you've oh, done Antagonizers albums, and I think Antagonizers had some relationship. One of the guys from Antagonizers was an Antiheroes guy, right? Am I right about that? Or am I wrong? I'm not positive about that one. They're both from Atlanta. I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. not. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've made a lot of records. That was like the heyday of TKO for, for me. I mean, it was a big reason why I moved to the Bay Area was because that scene, that street punk scene, was just popping off, and there were some amazing bands. Between, so, wait, like, so was it your – did your and, Worker Stiffs and everybody else. Yeah, Worker Stiffs are a great band. I got some of their stuff, definitely. So is that, was working for TKO kind of the inspiration of 
hey, I want to do a record label? Or was it like, I want to do a different kind of record label? Or was it? I think I already had that in me, in a sense. Like, I worked for TKO because I knew I wanted to work for a record label to learn how to run a record label because Mm. I'd already, like, tried to put out records or at least tried to promote my friends' bands. Like, Mm. you know, taping shit on my parents' stereo and making covers for them and stuff like that, you know? Just not having the, like, skills and resources to be able to do it properly. Mm. Um, And then just participating in something in the scene, you know, because I wasn't myself a good enough musician to like be in a good Mm. band, like doing stuff. So working at a record label and within like a month or two of working at the record label, I was working the door at like shows in the city, um, checking people's IDs, even though I didn't have one. Like (laughs) it was, it was awesome, but it it was an in, you know, like it was a way to meet people and get involved in the scene. And like, that was what I really embraced more than anything. Mm. And, like watching the effect that TKO had on some of the bands that were working with them at the time was certainly motivation for and like reinforcement for like what a label can do and the way that they can be a vehicle for for bands, you know. Um, you know, I, I run my business very differently than TKO was run. Um, and being that we have the manufacturer behind us, we're a lot different in terms of the business model and resources and things like that. But in general, the emphasis that he put on the product because he was a record collector, is a record collector, one of the best record collectors I know, like that was huge. And that sense of like loving the product that you put out and really owning it for that reason, like was something that stuck with me a lot too. Well, that, that's very clear from the stuff that you guys do, because some of the stuff I've got from Pirates Press, like that Suedehead album and stuff, I mean, it's beautifully packaged. The album looks great. Um, who who does all the design? Is that all done in-house, or is that does a band have... Well, that's all you, huh? Wow. Nice, nice job. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it is me. A lot of it is not. Um, when it's not. When it's not me doing the, like, creation of the design, um, it's generally me working with a band's designer to merge my knowledge about what we can make with their ideas so a lot of times you know bands or artists that they work with will feed us the like guts of what they want to do and then we'll put it together sure and yeah. really make it make it shine and sometimes it's simple stuff like they'll send something and we realize that the way they've designed it we could print you know, the black text in a glossy ink on an uncoated finish. And it's going to absolutely change the way somebody feels when they hold it in their hand, you know? And a lot of times, even if you're a great artist, you don't get that part of it. And it's really hard to kind of envision that part of it. But because of how many records we have coming through our office every week, you know, in the hundreds, we see what works and what doesn't work and what might make a record pop or not. And we're able to kind of lend our two cents into that to try and help, you know. And first and foremost, if a band it like has their own artist who's awesome, I'd much rather them do the art, you know. Like it's it's always better that way. But I never want it to be the thing that slows something up either. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if it means me being the project coordinator on that, I'm totally game. And I love the creation of the the design. I don't do the Photoshop illustrator part of it anymore because mm-hmm. i just don't have the time for it but like my right hand hand sam harris is so good with that and he and i work together so much that like i can write him an email with just words and he'll send me back a mock-up of virtually anything 
that is exactly the way I want it to be just because we're so in tune with, with each other and the way we communicate with each other. So it's been awesome. Like all that territory stuff that we put out, the album, the 12 flexies, everything. I did all of that. It was all like my ideas and hmm. taking the songs and feeling some sort of emotion or feeling or message from them and trying to project or like create a way for that message to be projected by the product onto whoever's going to see it. And like, that's always my biggest thing with the product is like, if there's no, if there's no message behind the song, then why are you even bothering to put it out? So like the flexes are a perfect example. Like if you have 12 songs for a record, each one should be good enough to stand on its own. Right. If it's not, then why are you bothering to put it out? Each one should have its own message or they should have a cohesive message together or something like that. Like plenty of people love banal music that doesn't mean anything. And like, I love (laughs) plenty of music like that too, but like, I generally don't, like spend my money trying to help people get that kind of music out there because yeah. I don't think it's like the world we live in is not in need of that. It is in need of something that can unify people and enlighten people and in, in like teach people about some perspective or something going on, you know, and that's the music that I'm the most passionate about. And to be able to help somebody who already has that song create a visual way of like getting that out there is something i love that's like probably my favorite part of that oh and that's part of the beauty of of vinyl as well is that you have that Mm -hmm. you have that package you have that 12 inch package and it looks amazing versus a cd or even worse just a digital download where it's just a you know nothing the flexies too have been because we developed the product and the machines and everything like that the sense of pride that you know i have handing somebody a flexi that like I designed the machine that made these, the company that made them, the artwork for this record, and here you go, have it free. And like that, even though I'm not saying that when I might hand somebody a record, like that's what's happening. And that I take it, like it's deep, it's fucking rad. <laughs> it's wow. super cool. And you know, giving somebody a record for free is huge. Like usually you get handed a flyer or a sticker or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For, like handing out a few thousand flexies like at punk rock bowling or other festivals. Like when you hand somebody, Hey, you want a free record? They like take a second guess. Like usually somebody's like, you want a free flyer or coupon or something like you want a free record. And if you're a record collector and you have records at home, you're like, wait, what? How are you going to give me a free record? And then like, Oh, great. He's, like, oh, he's going to try to convert oh, me to his religion or something. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, everybody <laughs> thinks something for free is like a religious conversion thing, man. Get sure. people get nervous. So you work with, I mean, you work with a band or you work with a label or whatever. So I mean, I mean, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, to give you a little plug here, which you don't really need from somebody like us, but they just, you just pirates press records. You can start the process, right? Piratespressrecords.com. Piratespress if you want to make a record, go to piratespress.com. If you want to buy a record, go to piratespressrecords.com. Okay. So it's okay. I got you. So the records, <laughs> is the, okay. I got you. So the records yeah. is the label. And just Pirates Press is the and you I mean you do books exactly. and all kinds of crap right I mean you can yeah, do, I mean, do promotional everything. stickers and I mean you I mean yeah you guys are full full service. We try and help people, especially smaller companies, be able to make the most out of their efforts. And like I was explaining a little bit earlier, in terms of serving people like a project manager, we can do that. Like somebody can send us a single email essentially with the order forms for a record, a CD, a poster, a sticker book, magazine, whatever, you know what I mean? Like as long as they can design the artwork the way that they need it done and or or pay us to do it or whatever, um, you know, we can get it all done 
for like the owner of that small business directly rather than them having to employ somebody to manage the process. And that's huge for a lot of small businesses. And it's not even just in the music business. I mean, the merch, the merch side of pirates is huge because of the music business. That's where we got strong was making t-shirts and buttons and pins and all that stuff for, for bands. But like all the local companies use it too. Like the, the breweries and coffee shops and coffee roasters and hardware stores and schools and everybody else they still know we know what we're doing and that we can get good prices on that stuff so they hit us up and they get that same advantage where even if they're not the most knowledgeable person at making t-shirts we can kind of level the playing field a bit for them hey we're we're looking for t-shirts so you know maybe we'll hit you there you go neil check it out check it out man shall help yeah talking about oh i'm sorry tom go ahead no, I was going to say, Neil, it's almost midnight Eastern Central Time or Eastern Standard Time. And I got to tell you, eventually my wife's going to want to throw me out of bed. So you can you know, you say, go ahead and ask your last question, but I'm probably going to have to start wrapping things up. All right. Well, I, I got a couple. I was one of the things I was no, going to say. Ahead, was... Go ahead. No, it's, it's all right. She hasn't cracked the door open yet and given me the eye. So it's okay. We're still, we got, we got, that's like five minute warning. All at right. That point. Um, one of the coolest records I've, I mean, I got a lot of records, but um, one of the coolest I have is it was a single by the Psychedelic Furs. And the cool thing about it was, so you had the regular 7-inch single, but then the sleeve was a flexi. So you could play the sleeve, and the sleeve was like a promotion for the album. It had like three tracks, partial tracks from the album or whatever. What was it, like Pretty in Pink? No, it was from that album. But it was the single before that. It was Dumb Waiters. It was called Dumb Waiters. Um, but yeah, I just so thought that was totally cool. Is the uh, cereal boxes from like the mo- the monkeys cereal boxes? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but awesome. It, I mean, we we started making those um, postcard flexies. It's the same stuff. It's it's basically pressing your grooves into a varnish mm-hmm. on paper. And the problem is, it's it all sounds like 1930s radio. Or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 which yeah. is fine if it's just a gimmick, but. We, the new picture flexies that we made that we uh, launched with that territory stuff where it's like full color on a, on a plastic flexi, those are like head and shoulders, which is better, you know what I mean, in terms of sound quality and stuff like that. And then, the, and then the best one I ever got was um, Joy Division when they were still going. They actually put out a flexi called Kam- Kamakino, I think, and um, it was free at record stores. And I think that's worth like 50 bucks now or something. So I'm still pretty stoked I got that at the time. So, you know, so flexies do have a place <laughs> for sure. So, you know, that is pretty cool. Well, that the one of the, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge flexi collector, but I do have the entire territories album. And it's so novel having all 12 of the songs in, in a little package, like a package, like a seven inch. So I actually, I think that's kind of cool. I mean, is it cumbersome to listen to? Absolutely. But it's, it's just sort of a cool novel thing. And I think you guys are always out there pushing the boundaries. Yeah, um, that record came with the digital download. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, I mean like, yeah, Tom didn't it, use that. It did <laughs> no, I'm not a big digital download. I'm not a big digital download guy, but like the, like you did a booze and glory record a couple of years ago. It was cut out around the edge. It was the London skinhead crew album. I'm sure you, I'm sure you're aware of it. And it played inside out. And Ooh. I remember trying to get that sucker to play, man. I, w- I was like, <laughs> if my needle gets smashed in the letters yeah. of this thing. Don't no, make it was, too difficult. But, yeah. But no, well, once you figured it out, it was, it was really cool. And it was, it was neat. But they, do the, they, they have this technology where they cut letters out of the edges of the album and stuff. Anyway, they, they do definitely do some cool stuff. Beautiful stuff. You're talking about that 
suede head album that is very nice comes with a seven inch the uh um, are you familiar with the mischief brew record that we put out the mischief i am brew not Andrew jackson jihad record it was i think it's the 20th record we put out so it was okay an eight inch um with <laughs> great my automatic turntable won't band, like that each band recorded the same song electric and acoustic at the same speed and we cut them using concentric grooves so at any point while they were being played, like depending on where you put the needle down at three o'clock or nine o'clock on the turntable, you would get it would start either one track or the other track. But while it was playing, if you stomped on the floor next to the turntable, it could skip into the other version. So it would go from electric to acoustic and acoustic to electric <laughs> almost in time. Like the songs were fast enough. So you kind of like maybe there was a little skip, but you, you got the picture pretty quick. It was pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and both bands did it so it was both sides were like that it was wow really cool. eight so, inch so and, uh. and and that whole collection you have of you got a couple of rancid albums but all on seven inch is that yeah we did their whole discography on seven inch up to um not including uh honor is all now whose whose idea was that uh i can't even remember it was a combination of me and lars and i think daryl from Cox bar really late at night in the kitchen at Pirates Press after a party or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's just yeah, strictly I mean, for collectors, that, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, yeah. it's just the point of it is to be a collectible, I assume. It, yeah, exactly. Um, and it was super fun for us to put out. It was actually the largest pressing that we have done as like a single order at Pirates too. It was like enormous because it's 46 records and I think we made 2000 of each or something like 46 that. records holy yeah. crap and it was 46 records plus uh she has a punk rocker seven inch on hmm. a, or a flexi rather that came with hmm. um wow but yeah we did we actually did the artwork kind of like a um rorschach test or a litmus test or something for uh zach from the ratchets who works his work for pirates since early early days did the hmm. artwork for that and more or less basically just like kind of interviewed tim and was like what what does this song make you think about and huh. then use that to inspire the artwork which is really really cool and for him like zach takes a lot of pride in his art and is a huge rancid fan as am i hmm. and so to be able to kind of do that was huge you know there's like a map on each one as well in in the design of each single as well that kind of pertains to the songs and stuff pretty cool hmm. pretty pretty special one uh, hmm. But like with all of the records we put out, like one of the goals we have is keeping the band in mind is like we want the band to be really proud of it. Like any band member should want to take the record that they're putting out and like and their mom a copy and be like, look at this. This is cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, like and that's something we because we're a manufacturer, we take a lot of pride in the product and a lot of people aren't in, who aren't in our position don't know how to make their products as cool you know and so we try and take advantage of that and kind of lead with our hearts you know what i mean and it's not always about the money side of it like sometimes it's just worth it making less money so that the record can have spot gloss now the, qu- <laughs> the quality shines through it really does i mean it's uh it certainly it certainly makes a difference i've only got one more question tom because i know you're anxious to no 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 that's fine listen like i said my wife isn't quite yet but it's definitely after midnight now All right. in the uh but no, so, go ahead. So my question was, so back in the day, it was simple. A band signed to a label, 
and they signed the seven album deal or whatever the hell it was and that was the only label that they could record for where it seems to be completely different these days and you'll see bands recording a single for one label and doing something else on another label like how does that how does that whole thing work it's very different i mean for us it's very different than everybody else in that sense too because i don't particularly want to own anybody's music there are a lot of other businesses that model their businesses differently um i kind of use the like golden rule thing if I, I was in a band i would love to be able to maintain ownership of my music and given that spara has pop spar has been an influence on me so heavily from the beginning and rancid too to an extent to see that the control that they still have over their catalog or in certain situations the control that they don't have over their catalog has influenced me to try and like lead by example and i know that other labels are absolutely more protective of themselves in a sense legally um because their businesses are reliant on that record label to make money to pay the bills whereas we're just doing this for the love of it and if we can make enough money to keep putting out more and more records then everybody wins but we're certainly not making money from it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and most of the deals we have are so heavily in favor of the bands that there's no point us owning it we don't want to We don't want to be seen that way. We want to be seen as like a partnership with the band rather than as like a top-down enterprise. You know what I mean? Bands want to be a part of Pirates Press because they're then a part of these other bands and this whole group of people, not because it's like getting to throw a stamp on a record and the label send you on a tour here and there and you go on tour with this band or that band. Like, We'd love to be able to orchestrate that, but the reality of the situation is that like every single band has their own schedule and priorities and booking agents and things like that, you know, and like it would be impossible to take it to that kind of a, a level, I think. It'd be hmm. great, but it's just some you of guys the bands did a, You guys did a compilation a year or two ago called One Family, One Flag, and I think that's kind of like become your become your slogan, right? Like one yeah, one family, uh, one flag. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the as the label has kind of become more diverse, it's been really important for us to kind of lead with that and make sure that like people who are fans of the slackers or the agrolites are cool with fans of noise or fans of old firm casuals or whatever. And we just want everybody to realize that like our whole scene as an aggregate scene is not that big. And yeah. We need to we need to kind of have some sense of unity there. And like uh, from the yeah. music perspective, we don't see that big of a difference musically between all the kind of bands that we work with. Like hmm. a band like the Slackers could easily open for any of the, you know, bigger punk bands that yeah, yeah. we Makes sense. Know, deal with, you know, or vice versa. Like it, it it's all in the same scene and everybody kind of digs all of it. And that's kind of where we're where we're so- trying to head with it. So, you know, Neil asked that whenever we have a label guy on, that's kind of one of your go-to questions, Neil. And I think, but I think it's kind of good what we're hearing is that nobody really used that old model anymore because none of the bands really liked that old model, right? They always kind of got screwed. And I, I know there's not as much money to be made now in general. It's risky for the label, right? Because if you're going to invest a ton of money into a band, like you need some protection that they're not oh, going to like okay. get you and go put out the next record somewhere else. Like the way I look at it though is like, you know, okay, if, if uh, the drowns all of a sudden blow up and Sony wants to sign them to a multi-million dollar multi-album deal, 
go for it. I'm stoked. Yeah, definitely. We'll right? sell a hell yeah. of a lot of copies of the record we put out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it'll be great for everybody. And they'll still yep. do their merch with us because we'll give them a better deal than the major label will. You know, like. But the thing is, so, like, we're so all in that, it for the best interests of the band. But in that situation, people. like in a normal situation like that, so so like when Nirvana made it big, right? They made their album for uh, Sub Pop, and uh, Geffen wanted to sign them, and then they wanted to put that record out. So Sub Pop got rich off the record that you know. So so, but in your situation, well, it's like you know, out, if you're right? not protecting, like, if look, you're not, look, if you're not protecting yourself, the band is getting all that money rather than Pirates Press. So I mean, I guess that's mm-hmm. that's that's cool for the bands, but you know. all the the band wrote the songs. Most I've I've probably only paid for the recording of like two or three albums out of mm. two hundred and fifty that we've put out or something like mm. that. And it's because I want the bands to own it. Yeah, you know, I want like if I'm going to sacrifice my hard-earned money and time into this band, I need to see that in reciprocated. You know what I mean? Oh. And like some, some of that's getting in a van and sacrificing life and some bands can't do that. So the sacrifice yeah. is them paying for their, their recording. Yeah. And if they believe that the recording is that good and they put their money into it, it's like a, put your money where you're about this situation. Like if they're well, willing and, to and, do it, I'm willing to do it, you know? Yeah. I would say and, the good thing is if you, if they don't sell, sell X amount of records, Sony is going to throw them off in a second. But if you like a record enough, even if it maybe doesn't sell as many as you think it should, you believe in the project, you know, you're going to stay behind the band. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, and we, we, you, you, you underestimate sometimes how many record bands themselves can sell. If they actually play out a lot. Like yeah. bands that play locally, who even sell 10 records a show, that starts to add up real quick. You could do 10 shows in two months if you live in a place like the Bay Area because yeah. there's enough places to play. So if yeah. you sell 10 records at a show, all of a sudden you're selling 100 records a month. And so you could sell 1,200 records a year just as the band. You know what I mean? Like that's more than you're selling in any of the stores or anything like that. That's why, you know, a band like The Drowns is a good example of a band that this whole Corona thing, I feel the worst for, because this was a band on the brink of really, I think going to the next level. And I know the next level is not, you know, green day dookie at this point. I mean, it's a different world, you know, that, that those, nobody's going to sell 10 million copies of a punk record anymore, but I think they were really in a position where, man, they were really going to, and now all of a sudden they're stalled, you know, and I know they're going to try to do some different things to keep going, but it's, those are the bands I feel bad for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a band like Cox Bar is still going to be able to sell out punk rock bowling in 2021 if they can't do anything in 2020. But these bands flip, that are on the brink. The side of that, though, is that it's going to be a lot sooner before you're able to see a band like The Drowns versus yeah, true, true. when you're going to see a band like Spara in a 5,000 cap venue arm to arm. You know what I mean? I don't know, like, man. They played Reggie's last year. No, I mean, like, it's going to be a while before you see the yeah, yeah. bands, though, compared to those smaller ones. So, well, no, that's why I was joking. That, that, Cox, Bar played Red, Cox Bar played Reggie's in Chicago mm-hmm. last year, probably yeah. the most intimate venue that I have ever seen them play at. But all right, Neil, let's awesome. play one more. Let's play one more song, and then I'm going to go to bed. Um, <laughs> Are you old man? What, uh, Who's the oldie well, we'll here? Play it, we'll, We'll play another song, and then we'll come back. And yeah, right, you're man. an hour earlier. You're an hour earlier. That's than I true. Am, I am. Yeah, that's true. All um, right. It uh, sounds like you need to play Hold Fast by the Drowns, given all that shtick. You know, that, that'd be cool. I'm totally down with that. I all love right. the Drowns. Neil does too, actually. Like I said, it's the first album of the year, and it came out in January. And I don't know that we've had another one that we both love that much now in April, have we? Maybe like the Gross Polluter album or something? But uh, anyway, yeah. but yeah, that was definitely it our... It hasn't our... left my stereo since I got it like 
nine months ago. Yeah, Neil sent me a picture of it when he got it, that black and red striped. Yeah, it's excellent. He loves it. I mean, since I got the digital, I haven't stopped listening to it. It's a constant repeat. My kids can sing half the words. Like, it's awesome. It's a great record. (laughs) Great record. So you want to do Hold Fast? Let's do that. That'll be good. We'll come back, say goodbye. Yep. Hold Fast by the Drowns.
There you go. Hold fast. The drowns. Under tension. 2020. What? This came out in 2020. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah, it did. It, and I know that most bands are still putting out records, but it does seem like it's been kind of a slow year in general. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's just like they're flying under my old man radar. Yeah, I think you'd be surprised. There's Actually, there's, there's been some these days. There's been some decent ones so far this yeah. year. I think. Yeah. It's there's a lot. I mean, the timing of this, the coronavirus thing, uh, in relation to it just happening prior to Record Store Day, really yes. had a huge impact. Um, there are a lot of records that were scheduled for release either on yep. record store day or basically three to four weeks later, which is the buffer most people give the record stores to start having enough <laughs> common sense and time and everything else to start buying records again after record store day. So like between that, like the timing of this couldn't be worse. It's like the worst. It's, the, it's the, one of the most popular times of the year to release a record because everybody's about to yep. go on tour, you know? Well, so yep. a lot of that stuff's on hold. You'll see an absolute ass load of records on sale all summer long. As soon, mm. as, soon as record stores start opening up. Yeah. So hopefully soon. So you take record store day seriously then, because it seems like a lot of labels don't. It seems like the last, last few record store days have been pretty mediocre on the whole. From a label perspective, I don't even pay attention to it. Yeah. From the manufacturing side, I certainly do, because it affects everybody's deadlines. You know yeah, yeah. I mean? mm. um, from the label side, we've had very few records get selected as official record store day titles. So mm. for us, really, record store day only affects stores' budgets. And as I was saying, a huge majority of our records are selling via mail order. So the stores are important, but they're not the bread and butter, so to speak. So we still kind of time our releases more having to do with tours and like common sense of when a record's going to be available, when the band can do a record release show, that kind of stuff rather than around record store day because we don't have any sense of confidence that like record store day the official group is going to pick up our title hmm. i wonder how that works i mean because like a couple years ago there was like a poison idea single i mean it's like there is it's some a whole punk different stuff episode in. my friend do you have is it, a, is it politics i kind of i was afraid of that the politics yeah. well we'd love All to right. have you back on sometime that would be yeah, awesome definitely. if you, if you when, come when you on with us again your next big release, once you start, once the big releases start rolling out, and you're ready to ready to talk about some of them, definitely. Or uh, maybe I don't know. Yeah. I know you did the big event last year. Uh, the Rock the Ship thing looked amazing in the Bay Area. Yeah, we and scaled I, back now with the Rock the Sofa thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and, and so I am gonna, I am actually gonna recap here what we got going on. So we got Rock the Sofa, which is uh, something that is is gonna be affiliated with Pirates Press Records. That is like a, a calendar, more or less. Where you can Festival figure out who's guy. doing yeah. all the cuff, yeah, all the cool stuff online. So you should check that out. Rock the sofa. Go give that a like on the socials and whatnot. And if you're a band that needs a record made, then you need to go to piratespress.com. And if you want to buy some great records, you need to go to piratespressrecords.com. I think I got that right. Perfect. Considering it's after midnight and my second drink is empty, I need to. I'm I no, normally I'd go get my third, but I think I'm just gonna. Yeah. I think I'll just call it. I got the five minute warning. I got my, my do- first one. It's not bad. Well, yeah, but it's early for you. You're you're just getting started. My daughter did stick her head in the door and said, "Mom wants to go to bed." And uh, so anyway, it's all good. But hey, man, I we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting awesome. from the menu. Cause, well, because the fact of the matter is, you have a different perspective. Most people we talk to are the small town guys who are having you make their make the records, you know, so to be on the other, the other end of it. So, and we're, we're branching out because a lot of the people we talked to were sort of Midwestern, but now we're going 
we're going uh yeah, we don't cross country. Are, we have been talking to some people on the west coast and on top of that there's so many great pirates press bands that we're we're, we're definitely gonna try to tap into some of those maybe we'll even go yeah, let us know. go foreign so let us definitely know. We're happy to connect you with anybody in the in the the net even if it's labels we manufacture for for that matter like just let yeah us definitely more than happy to help our, i will bug our mutual friend in new jersey and he's always yeah. good at uh <laughs> helping me out when i need something and we will uh we'll definitely do that but but yeah man thanks a lot and uh good luck with uh all your pirates press stuff right and, on. thank uh, you guys very much for taking the you time bet man we look forward to, we look forward to seeing whatever weird innovation and violin you come out with next all kinds of fun stuff in the works. Yeah, and I'm gonna play. <laughs> I'm gonna play a Boston Preachers track on the way out. Oh, that's right. So yeah, I'm gonna okay. play when the world ends, uh, which is the yeah, so new this is, this the new single. New. Yes. Is is it gonna be on vinyl too? Or because right now it's just a digital, right? It will be. Excellent. I looked at the artwork for it today. Okay. Cool. Excellent. So yeah, on the way out, this is gonna be the Barstool Preachers from uh, London, correct? Yeah, from London. Uh, yeah. When the world ends. Brighton. Yeah. Well, from Brighton. Oh, mm-hmm. like my boys, these animal men. All right, cool. Uh, <laughs> Boston preachers. Oh, them. man, we didn't even talk any England stuff. That's right. That's no, we didn't. Day, Next time. Next That's time right. we'll get to some of that stuff, yeah. So, anyway, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Cheers. All right. Cheers, everybody. Stay safe. Outside the front of your house Asking can you feel it Here at the edge of things There's no salvation on your screen Tonight it's just you and me The bloodshed, but now we're signing to your best. Ain't strange now, we can't breathe. We might have a chance to fix it all. If we do things right, just this time we don't have to go back to normal. If this is the end of our ride, well, I'm proud to be here by your side. Capitalism to the socialist shuffle